Welcome to the Berry Sex Show. Thanks for joining me. I'm Barry Cockroft and I'll be hosting this podcast with guest saxophonists from around the world. We'll be exploring the stories behind these great musicians with telling insights into how they got started and the ongoing development of their careers. Thanks for being here on this adventure and please subscribe for a new episode each week. The details of each podcast, including a transcript, the show notes and any links can be found at barrysax.com. A musician of international repute, French saxophonist and composer Philippe Geis has given concerts and masterclasses all over the world. Excelling in diverse disciplines, he's mastered a repertoire that extends from classical to improvised music. He is in great demand as a composer, with a catalogue ranging from solo pieces to symphonic repertoire. He is published by Bilodeau, Robert Martin and Le Duc. Philippe is professor at the Strasbourg Conservatory, as well as a guest professor in Tokyo. He is a valued member of the International Saxophone Committee, in which role he masterminded the artistic direction of Sax Open, the 17th World Saxophone Congress and World Festival of the Saxophone in Strasbourg in 2015. Please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with French crossover saxophonist Philippe Geis. So a really good place to start is perhaps you could tell us how you got started with the saxophone. Uh, I got started when I was uh, seven. Uh, I start uh, in French music school with uh, solfege and uh, really want to uh, play an instrument after one year solfege and uh, one day I decided to, uh, to bring my mother in the music shop and I decided decide that these days I want to have an instrument and I want to play trombone <laughs> but they have no trombone in the music shop and I said, no problem, I will choose something close to trombone. And then I, I really work very hard. Uh, and my mother uh, buy a, a, a saxophone for me. Then that was the start. So seven is, uh, well, in my experience, very young. Yeah, but you know, actually, for example, in France, we start saxophone at six. Wow. In, uh, in conservatory. And, uh, and we have uh, more and more uh, special uh, method uh, mm. for really young beginners now. Like other instruments. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And also uh, we have small hands instruments. That's something new. But when I started, that was funny because I have also the double octave key uh, because I, I have a kind of old uh, handmade saxophone model because my parents have not enough money to buy me a really uh, um, expensive uh, instrument and then the start was difficult uh, and uh, after a few years I remember that uh, I got a, a new uh, real professional saxophone that was an S1 from uh, Buffet and for me, that was a, a dream. It was like a Ferrari. And, uh, and after I switched uh, some years ago to Selmer. 
when you say you started with solfege, does that mean before playing an instrument you have to study the theory and... Yes, you have to learn how to read the notes, you have uh, ear training, you sing, you, um, but you, you don't practice instrument. You have just a very small, like a small glockenspiel and, and that's... Uh, you, you, I remember that's my feeling is I want to play some music <laughs> and uh, that way I was um, really in a kind of hurry, I want to play uh, and uh, I was very happy when I finally got my saxophone who was not a trombone. <laughs> <laughs> um, would you have any advice for um, a kid starting out on the saxophone? Is there one thing that it's really important to you for a beginner. Enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. And uh, of course for a, a kids that's very difficult but the, the routine is very important but kids, kids don't, they, they like that in a way and they hate that in another way. Then that's really, a, I think we need especially good uh, Good teachers, good um, books, um, also use new technology sometimes to help kids to have fun to practice and to make them really play some music. And uh, actually I, I write an, a book for uh, young beginners, six years old, yeah. and I really think about that how they could have fun to practice and learn something at the same time. That sounds different to some of the traditional French books I've seen. I mean, when I was a student, I remember the Closet book mm. and these huge books and on page three, you're already playing <laughs> almost a concerto. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the books were difficult and there were mechanical exercises that were incredibly boring and I'd be surprised if anyone got to page three before just giving up. Yeah. So is this, is this a new direction in, in French pedagogy that there's an, perhaps uh, some consideration taken to the enjoyment and the motivation of the students? Um, I think it really depends on uh, each conservatory. Uh, but also in France now we have uh, some new programs. Uh, uh, one is called, for example, Demos, and Demos is bring the music uh, in some uh, area where that's no music school and uh, help uh, people who don't practice music and don't listen music to discover what is an orchestra, what is an instrument, how to practice and so on. And then we need to find some way to bring and keep people um, uh, in the motivation of practicing. And, and then <clears throat> we, we think about that. And also, at the same time, for me, that's always this big question about uh, what will be in the future uh, the publishing. Uh, uh, it, uh, what we will keep on, on paper, what we will keep on the tablet, what we will keep on the, 
or people start to use on YouTube uh, because in, in, in some jazz or pop music, um, we have a lot of tutorial, uh, especially for uh, autodidact. But in conservatory, we don't use that. And, um, and in this book project for young beginners, beginners, the idea is to have each lesson on YouTube, uh, with a private channel, uh, that, uh, a, a code to access. And like that, they could have, um, some support also to, uh, to practice or just to remember how to put the read on the saxophone because for a kid sometimes that's very difficult then we think about many tools uh, to have a good balance between fun and practicing but I remember the very boring uh, technique mechanical exercise <laughs> now during your time as a student mm. You must have learned with some different teachers. Yeah. Did you, looking back now, did you see some different teaching styles and could you perhaps describe some of the things that you came across as you moved from teacher to teacher? Um, that's uh, different things. Um, and, of course, you, you realise that's very late, unfortunately. <laughs> But I remember my first teacher was a non-famous teacher in a small city called Belfort. But this teacher was seems quite good because many of his students make a nice career, and then that's a good sign. And he was, in a way, very classical. Uh, very um, methodic. Then you have to do your mechanical exercise. Uh, you don't play, uh, of course, pop music or thing like that. But it also brings you some fun, and that, that was very good thing. And after that, the second um, thing I, I remember uh, when I was fourteen. I start to to have private uh, lessons with Daniel Defaye, <clears throat> and this and um, and and this was really very different for me <clears throat> because Daniel Defaye, um, the the feeling I remember is only copy paste. <laughs> um, Probably I have many, many things to adjust or to fix for him. Uh, and instead of explain, he just always tell me, I play, copy my playing. Why not? But in, in a way that was all, always a strange feeling and, uh, and kind of frustrating. And uh, I remember after... Um, like one year or one year and a half uh, private lesson, he invited me to visit the Paris Conservatory class uh, because it 
that could be a good idea to do the entry exam. Uh, and then it bring me in this class and I saw like 12 copy-paste students. And for me, that was the decision that I don't want to do that. Uh, maybe that was the wrong decision. We'll never know. <laughs> and um, then that was my second teacher. And after that, I had uh, another kind of, not exactly teacher, but I had the, the chance to have um, uh, a seat in a jazz big band. And the first author was Ivan Roth, who had fun to play jazz. Um, and that was interesting for me because he, he was very supportive and gave me advice. That was not lessons, but he, he gave me advice and that was kind of uh, other teacher. And after that, for a long time, that was uh, Finnish for... Um, uh, having uh, saxophone teachers, but I had many other kind of teachers because when uh, um, I, I start to work with many different um, artists uh, very early when I was like 19, uh, uh, like uh, dancers, uh, drama, uh, um, I also compose a lot of um, uh, movie soundtrack, uh, and then you learn how to record. You learn how to um, write an arrangement, and you learn when you work with drama uh, what means to give it a sense of what you propose to play and how you play. Because play the same note with another spirit is not possible for the drama situation. Uh, when you work with dancers, of course, as soon as you are on stage, you have to think uh, more about what you project with your body of, uh, instead of what you are playing. Or if you play for dancers, they are waiting for something different. They don't need a mechanical exercise. They need sometimes mechanical music. <laughs> mechanical <laughs> exercise. And after the, the next teacher um, was um, uh, my meeting with uh, Jerry Bergonzi because uh, I decided to... At this time, I'm looking for a real uh, jazz men from the American tradition because I, I, I want to understand and to learn how a real jazz men from the American tradition um, approach, practice, learn uh, music. And then uh, I asked my friend, the French drummer Daniel Humer, who played with Miles Davis and many other uh, great jasmine, uh, who could be this person? And at this time, he has a, uh, he had a trio with Jerry um, Bergonzi, and he said, Jerry Bergonzi is a perfect teacher, perfect uh, performer. I, I don't know Jerry at this time. And uh, we, we met, I organized a concert and a recording session. Within this concert, 
together the recording session and just after the recording session I talk about my project to Jerry and I would like to do a duet with you in a exchange way. I'm classical uh, uh, musician but uh, I love jazz I play some jazz but uh, I have many, many things to learn. I could give you some uh, classical saxophone advice if you need, if you want, and I would like you just to share uh, your music and your way uh, of playing music with me. So we have no music, you are crazy, but yes. <laughs> and uh, and uh, that's, uh, I think this time we have this... Uh, exchange, collaboration, and that's a, a very great exchange. And, uh, and each day when I play and teach, I use some uh, uh, advice that Jerry gave me, and I use that both in jazz or classical uh, uh, music. And after the, I would say, the, the last teacher uh, was Jean-Marie Londex, because... Um, I was um, hired by the Strasbourg Conservatory uh, to, uh, they would like me as saxophone teacher, but they have heard about me, about my career as an artist. But at this time, I have not finished the, the pedagogy exams. Then I have to do that. And Jamal Odex was one of the teacher a pedagogy teacher to for the exam preparation, and then I met Jean Marie, and I, uh, that was a real teacher. Uh, that was one year, uh, like each weekend uh, we spent that with uh, many friends uh, like Nicolas Prost, Christian Wirt, and, and so on. And um, and then that was a very good teacher because he's. Uh, Saxophone lover, he is very methodic, uh, as is the saxophone history, and that was very um, memorable. And also, each day I use some advice from Jean-Marie. So, would you say that your teaching method or style has been influenced by all of those teachers? You take a little bit from each? Or? Yeah. Yeah, a little bit from each, but not only from um, uh, from the saxophone teachers. Uh, that's um, sometimes, uh, for example, I have a, a very good friend who is uh, a very um, uh, high-level uh, karate master. And uh, we also have exchange. Uh, many times about um, your body master your body master your mind master your stress and thing and I think we you, we need that in the teaching and in performing then that's many teachers do you think it's common for people to seek uh, help or advice outside of the musical field uh Maybe not, but I, I would advise um, always stay open and um, 
and think that some advice could come from people who are really not in your uh, specialty. Mm. Uh, I, I'm also a, a gastronomer. I love wine. I love uh, cook. Uh, I love to cook, and I work a lot um, on with uh, chef cooks uh, because you know. Um, just before I done my final pedagogy exam, I had to make a decision if I want to be a cook or a saxophonist. <laughs> and I, I really work as a cook, uh, as a volunteer, but in a uh, in a, um, you said uh, two stars restaurant, uh, and ask my friend who was chief cook. I want to work. Don't. Don't pay me. I just want to feel what is this job, and then I spend a few weeks really working uh, in the in the, uh, the restaurant, and after that I decide I will stay with the saxophone. <laughs> Could you describe the way that you practice on a day-to-day basis for your personal uh, development for whatever you're working on at the time? Um, the first thing you learn, uh, I would say when you grow up, <laughs> especially when you become a professional with many activities, is you have to really decide what you will practice because you have not enough time. Uh, then if I practice, uh, I try to practice two hours. Uh, some days I haven't these two hours. Some other day I'm very happy because I have four or six hours or sometimes I decide just I spend the day only to practice, uh, do some research and so on. But, uh, and then when I practice, I always be very careful to take care of my body. Always start slow. Uh, uh, don't uh, forget to do a little, a little bracing exercise, body exercise, just before starting. Um, I get many advice also when I see some masterclass uh, to practice, uh, I would say, with a free mind. Uh, even you have to play a very fast piece. It's very good to practice slow, maybe rubato, maybe just with the keys, feel what's, what is the feeling with your instrument. Uh, then the, the practicing for me need to be, I would say, uh, organized, but smooth, uh, not too hard. Uh, and we need to practice, but we need to stay in a good shape uh, if we want to play many, many years. I always find it funny when I hear some students complaining they don't have enough time to practice. Yes. And it's like, you just, <laughs> you just wait. <laughs> yeah. Is memorization something that is an important part of your performance? And if it is, do you have any special methods or techniques that help 
Um, uh, personally, uh, uh, I never use so much memorization. Uh, I, of course, memorize when I improvise. Because when you improvise, of course, you have no, uh, uh, you, you have no music to read, or oh, not a lot information, and uh, and also I I done that when I do uh, um, some show with drama and things like that because you also I'm not um, uh, your your music uh, to read. Um, and then I'm not the right person for, for this, uh, thing. Uh, but as a teacher, I really ask my students to, to do that. And I'm always careful about that because some people, um, play better when they read, some other people play better when they memorize. Then that's a good exercise. Your brain needs this sport. Then I train my students and try to feel what is the best way for them. So really it's about choosing what's best for that individual. Yeah, and also the thing I really like when you memorize is because when you memorize, you um, if you are... a if you have a good memory and if you could find a way to be relaxed with that, that's make you more well able to listen, to use more your ear, your feeling. And I like that for this reason. I've seen you play many times now and you always seem to have a different instrument in your hands. How, how do you become proficient at the different sizes of, of saxophone um, <clears throat> for this <clears throat> I always I, I, I need two things the, the first you always need to be organized uh, when you practice and when you perform for me for example in a recital I was always I will always start with small embouchure going to big embouchure, big mouthpiece, because that's very hard to come back uh, from a berry to a soprano, for me. Uh, in the same way, that's very hard to come back from a jazz embouchure to a classical embouchure. It depends on the, uh, how hard is the piece you have to play, of course. Some, sometimes I could do that, sometimes I learned that no, <laughs> don't do this mistake. And the second thing is you have to really choose your uh, equipment to, um, to have a good balance on how uh, tiring is your setup. Um, between uh, if you have a very demanding um, jazz mouthpiece very open with a reed um, sometimes strong to have a very uh, powerful sound that's very difficult to come back to, for example to a closed classical mouthpiece with a um, soft reed 
you can't play. And the last thing about that is when you practice your classical saxophone with um, a few of jazz advice to be relaxed that's help you to switch from one to another to the other if you know exactly what you have to do that's help you you know when i first met you i think we were in thailand yeah in uh, 2009 hmm. i'd never heard of this term crossover yeah and i believe that's a word used to describe yourself or the music that you play could you describe what that means to you that's uh an interesting question and always that's more and more clear but <laughs> that's always a question you know i'm i'm a music lover and for, for me um uh if we come back to my uh first year uh, practicing music i had the classical teacher saxophone teacher and my father was a jazz fan. He was not a musician, but jazz fan. And each day I listened about six hours jazz. And not listen, he asked me to recognize who is playing, uh, to uh, start to feel the difference between this interpretation and that. And, and, um, and then in my ear, I really have this music. And uh, my father listened di really different kind of music. He, he was real music lover also. Then I always learned to be very open in um, in uh, the music I, I listen. And after I that was uh, like that. Life is surprising, but. Uh, I met many, many different uh, kind, uh, many uh, musicians from many different styles. I mean, when I was, I don't remember exactly, like 18 or 20, I played with Indian musicians. And after I spent um, close to five years with Zulu musicians from South Africa, I mixed him with a kind of... Uh, pop jazz and uh, and then each time you learn something uh, different and after you understand what where are the connections for example um, when you play with African uh, musician you learn how to play in one beat um, when and of course, this musician just want, as the gypsies, I play a lot with gypsy also, they just want you to have a spirit. They don't care if you have technique or not, that's your problem, practice. But when you play, if they don't feel <coughs> your emotion, what you want to, I would say, to speak, <laughs> to say, they, they, they feel they think that you have nothing to say with your instrument. But then you crossover is you, you use different 
advice from different music uh, with a, a lot of respect um, and uh, and then in my experience my life I for example I spend many times to learn and to study traditional music from different countries and I'm still very interesting about that um, and this, and when I study that, I learned that traditions like traditional music, traditional cooking, uh, and so on is really what is like the, the identity of, um, of each country, each region. And you could feel that in, in the music. Uh, that's not the same to play uh, French music like Poulenc or to play Gershwin or to play um, uh, Mozart. Uh, uh, and of course, when you travel, you learn uh, more and more what means all these things because um, different countries, different regions, different traditions. And even if the music is a very, um, I would say, scientific, uh, like uh, Denisov or Lobar and so on, uh, in Lobar you always, quite always, could see that he has always a small percentage of North Africa because he is from North Africa and maybe he wants that maybe that's just him and and then for me I'm I am from France from one region but in me that's many countries and many traditions talking of travel yeah it seems in recent years, in the last ten years or so, you're you're traveling more and more, yeah, to further and further afield. Um, how important is travel to you and your music? Uh, that's very important because uh, traveling makes you understand that we are really on a small planet, and that you have. Um, you have to learn to listen to and to listen, taste, respect uh, different uh, origins, different tradition, try to understand. Uh, and you always learn so many things. And um, uh, the next step about that is... Uh, Recently, I became friends with an astronaut, and um, that uh, in, in, that French astronaut is Thomas Pesquet. And this exchange is very uh, new. That's uh, another step of traveling. I have not the chance to. I think I will never go in space, uh, like in the space station or something like that. But for example, Thomas said that when he was on a space station, he spent six months on the International Space Station, and 
when you were there, it, it turned around Earth 16 times a day. And he has the feeling that Earth is like a very small boat with no uh, survival kit, uh, no spare boat. And uh, as each astronaut was this, this uh, experience, after that, they really want to um, make people understand that we have to take care of Earth and, and we, and then we have to take care of Earth. Then we have to take care of uh, our neighbor to learn, to respect, to work on uh, peace and respect and not uh, fighting. Do you think travel helps empower yes. yeah. this? Yeah. So you would encourage it? Yeah, uh, yes, a lot. One thing I've noticed with many students, I mean, and particularly from Australia, this the students always travel somewhere to study, hmm. to learn with a different teacher. I know certainly some of my former students have studied with you, yeah. and they've expanded their horizons. How how important do you think that step is for a student to remove themselves to their own culture and go somewhere else? I think that's. I would say f fundamental. Uh, usually I have around 10 different countries uh, in my class. And that's always very interesting mm, because um, the students learn to uh, that's uh, the sound, the culture, the, the feeling, the tradition is different from one country to, uh, to another. And in addition of that, um, when, for example, you, you bring some students with you in another country, they could discover uh, something different. I'm, uh, I would explain that, for example, this year I bring one more time some of my students with me in uh, Tokyo, where I, I teach also. And Asia is very different uh, than uh, Europe, for example. And, uh, and that was, that's something you can't explain. You, and um, even you have uh, many websites and uh, wonderful uh, movies about uh, Discover Asia, uh, Japan. Or so. If you've never been in Japan or China, uh, it's on, you can't understand what um, these people, this tradition, um, and what you could learn from them. Uh, for example, I, I remember one story well, is for me one of the great advice. Uh, my, my friend uh, Maheda uh, Masahiro, who leads uh, the Mi Bemol Ensemble, who is just uh, <coughs> an amazing uh, example of uh, classical saxophone ensemble sound. Um, 
one day we, we were together and, and he said to me, you know, in France, you're, you are a socialist because you eat, uh, beef, red meat a lot, and then you are very powerful. And then you have a lot of energy to be socialist. In Japan, we eat vegetable and fish. Uh, and then we work on how something smooth, uh, um, be together. We are used to, to have, to really work on a community, not, uh, isolate. Um, and, um, and that makes really sense. And since this, uh, simple words from Masahiro, I use that to uh, to work with my Saxon Ensemble students, and and they understand that, and and they work on that. Then, if you travel, if you have a chance, you could learn that. If you don't travel, you don't learn that. Did your career follow a plan that you had, or has it evolved um, organically <coughs> by following opportunities that arise? Um, for a long period, I, I have not the, I was not, um, aware of but what is my career. I just jump from one, uh, uh, one project to another and, um, and because I, I was, uh, very lucky, but I start to go on tour when I was uh, 17. And, uh, because I, I won some competitions and, and so on and done many, many concerts. Um, between, especially between 20, when I, I turned 20 to 35, something, something like that. I done around 250 concerts each year. Then you have no time to do, to think, just to play. And, um, but I had the feeling that I have something to organize to, to choose what I want to say. Uh, and, um, when I start, for example, to, to write some music for orchestra, when uh, I start to be published, uh, or I have to decide what I want to say, what I want to project, and what is my project. Because if you are not clear with that, people will just don't understand who you are. And um, when you do some recordings, uh, your CD or your name, you have also to decide what you want to say. And, um, and, and then I done that, yeah, like 15 years ago, really. And, and now I try to do my best to follow this plan because I learned that, uh, that a chance to be able to play one day rock and roll and the next day the crook and, uh, 
and the day after kind of pretty music but after a while you have to decide um what in in which style you think or you feel you are you are at your best place and the very important thing about that and i always talk about that with my students is when on this point start to be clear for me uh, many projects find their place because people could understand who, who I am and and then um, I think this, since this time I spend quite a lot of time with my students to ask them uh, try to understand who you are and who you want to be uh, and that's a very difficult question but I think they, they need that what is a typical lesson like with your students at uh, the conservatory? Uh, I would say that's uh, I the typical lesson for me is first work on the connection they have between their body and the instrument and their body and music. If they feel something when they play. Uh, if they feel the overtones on an instrument, if they feel that they are playing, not the saxophone is playing, they are playing, then someday we work a lot on, on bracing, on how to feel the body, sometimes without the saxophone. Uh, it takes time. Then you do less mechanical exercise and more um, try to feel your body. Uh, then um, I gave them some advice to practice, but I want to I want to trust them to practice, and maybe that's not the right choice. <laughs> uh, and spend time with them to talk about the music, the the project, and so on. Then after we work on uh, the music they actually play. Some music could be just to learn to them the saxophone repertoire from classical to some transcription, contemporary music, sometimes crossover and so on. And uh, the second part is try to find step by step which repertoire they want to play and at the same time, step by step, um, uh, try to find their personal project. Because I, I want, I ask them to work on their personality, to, to have um, the opportunity uh, that after their studies, people could recognize them. Uh, and this takes a while, but that's very interesting. It seems to me that people who have but a successful performing career mm -hmm. always seem to have some unique aspect to what they do. 
Yeah. And in fact, the, the saxophonists that I admire the most are always different. Yeah. And I don't think it's something that's, that's learned. It's something perhaps that's developed. Yeah, and uh, that could be developed. And also, uh, for example, in the Strasbourg Super Academy, the Strasbourg Super Academy is one part of the uh, of an art school where you have also all the students like uh, illustrator, art designers, and multimedia uh, designer, and so on. And for this uh, school of art, the, the most important thing is try, uh, not try, is working, working on your personality, try to be unique. Uh, and that's very disturbing for a musician uh, to work on this question. But when they start to understand, things are different. You're a big improviser. Mm -hmm. do you encourage your students or even in the lessons to use improvisation yeah. as one of the uh, tools yes but um, the first thing I learned about improvisation especially teach improvisation um, is don't talk about the, uh, don't say this word uh, work on your ear training in millions way um, and one day you will maybe realize that you improvise and um, in um, my recent uh, career I also have a, an important meeting is one man called um, one pianist called Jean-François Zigel is a French uh, pianist, French improviser. He teach improvisation in the Paris Conservatory. And um, he has also a TV and radio show. And he's, he's like the, the French uh, Leonard Bernstein. That's really the same way. And I improvise with him because he only do uh, concerts of uh, improvisation. Uh, but that, that's very difficult because some days you say, okay, today we'll improvise like Debussy for the first part. And after we'll improvise like Stravinsky. If you don't know that, you can't do that. And this uh, makes me realize that <coughs> many, many uh, students many musicians, but first students, don't realize what they are playing when they read the music. Then I, in my, in each of my lessons, I ask my students to work on some variation, variations to realize step by step what they are playing. Uh, and here I uh, very often used together um, improvisation tools you could find in jazz or find in uh, Jean-Sébastien Bach uh, imaginary practicing uh, uh, and, and things like that because when you have a 
trial in jazz or in a cello suite, that's the same trial. But, and that could help you to sometimes to, to do less mechanical exercise because you understand what you have to play. Uh, and then this is a kind of uh, improvisation and I try for me and my students to understand when you have to do your mechanical exercise because that's mechanical and when uh, the, um, the fact that in the, un understand which language you are playing will help you to do less mechanical and more music. Besides being a composer yourself, mm -hmm. you work a lot with other composers. Yeah. How important is the collaboration between performer and composer? Um, I would say that's very uh, important and sometimes uh, uh, I would say funny, that could be dangerous. Uh, I, in Strasbourg, when I, where I teach, we have a very um, famous contemporary, festi uh, contemporary music festival, and we are very used to work with uh, contemporary composers. And um, since a long time, I have many collaborations with my students and me with contemporary composers. And one thing I learned is be careful when you show something to the composer. Because, especially also when you improvise, sometimes you play a lick, maybe you will never repro reproduce this lick or this sound. But if the composer like that and try to write that, that could be a big trouble for you to try to reproduce that and um, but in a way that's also interesting uh, for example in this period that's uh, one part of the contemporary music we work real on noise and uh, some composer loves uh, an, an noise uh, from the, the words I only read then that could seems very strange, but why not? Uh, we, we know that, for example, we learn from Christian Loba that uh, it's very interesting to play very soft on the saxophone before Christian. We don't have, we don't realize that. Then, in this way, collaboration with the composer is very important because he could learn you or transmit a feeling or um, and also um, with many composers the thing I learned is don't think that a composer uh, is dead a composer could be alive you could reach the composer he could be very happy to work with you uh, and Composer is, I would say, a normal person. 
they have different style, different knowledge, different way to write and to think and to feel the music. And you have to learn that and try to learn that. And music is something alive. You have to respect the music. Um, but try to do your best to let the music alive. And of course, when you compose, you learn that find a way to write what you hear sometimes is very difficult. For example, for me, uh, I use a lot of uh, air sounds um, and I use a, a lot of uh, voice um, uh, in in my composition and just saying tuka tuka is a problem because many um, different countries uh, are used to say tuka tuka but not tuka tuka because this tuka is more French uh, then you learn that some composers could have problem to write their idea and of course reproduce an idea that you don't understand is a problem. But that would be the job then of the interpreter to learn how to yes. produce those sounds. Yeah. So it's possible a composer can extend the abilities of a performer. Yeah. As opposed to them doing more mechanical exercises, they just take a new piece with some new demands yeah. and they have to find a way to do it. Yeah, and, and I think that most of the time uh, students don't realize that they are interpreter. They don't, don't have to copy or they don't have to be uh, like a robot who just, um, I would say, a uh, uh, robot with no uh, very large de development, but... but I would say that if you don't have the, this possibility of uh, give a part of your feeling, of your understanding on the music you have to play, you are not a, uh, an interpreter. Because that's like between d two different languages and you learn that when you travel, that sometimes you have just no word for something you want to express. And we learned that in, in Asia, that um, saying no is a big problem. For example, then when you translate that in music, that's uh, something you could more understand. This could be a big question, but let's keep it um, yeah. brief. But you organized the largest World Saxophone Congress in its almost 50-year history. Hmm. What could have possibly gone through your head to create such an all-encompassing event? Um, this story about the World Sax Congress in Strasbourg is different things. First, um, uh, I love to share everything with my friends. Uh, music, cooking, wines, uh, friendship, everything. Um, 
second we are on, on a small world uh, then my idea is to try to do my best to connect the maximum of, of people even they are not there that's why uh, I work a lot on new technology to have live stream and multi-connected concert and things like that um, second thing I understand from people like Jean-Marie Londec that one person has to do it for friends and we talk with my colleagues uh, during 10 years and say that could be nice to do the congress in France but nobody really say okay I will do it then one day I decide enough is enough I will do it I know that's crazy but I will do it and after that um, uh, I'll learn in my different scale that if I do a project like that I have to do it with fun for me and to express who I am in the project also then I'm crossover I'm open I love uh, uh, I love to be organized but to be open to be crazy sometime then I I decided that this project has to be um, to reflect uh, all of this, uh, each of, of these uh, things. And um, and the second thing is, um, as soon as I decide to do it, um, I decide to uh, to have a real team with me. Uh, one organization team, professional organization team, then uh, and and one artistic team from the saxophone community, and uh, for the organization that that was, I would say, first of all, a question of money. Say, I know that it will cost money, but. If we, if I want a very well organized event, I need money. Or if the politics don't want to give me the money, I would say no. Then I was very lucky. They say yes. That was a hard work, but they say yes. That's also one moment very important where you could um, check if you are, if people trust you if you are friends, if you are a good community or not. And about artistic, that was very nice because um, I spent many times and energy to set up uh, an artist community, first with my um, classical colleagues, uh, French teachers, uh, Claude Delange, Gilles Tressos, Nicolas Pross, and so on. We met um, each two months uh, during three years in Paris. And that was very nice because like that, we have a real community feeling that we uh, have not before. And I expand that to all the styles we regularly invite other musicians from jazz, improvisation, amateurs, and so on to join us to talk about the project. And I travel a lot to 
um, meet different uh, people, different community in different countries to involve them in the project and to explain uh, how crazy <laughs> is my project. Um, and, and then that was step by step. That was six years of work, step by step, to build this project. And um, I was very happy uh, also during the project because that was very, very uh, big. Uh, and everything's worked uh, well because also I learned to trust colleagues, trust friends, trust trust uh, volunteers, uh, and that's a very nice feeling. And uh, the last thing about that is after the Congress, uh, three years after now, I still have many feedbacks about that. Uh, uh, I know that the... Um, the saxophone community is more interesting about uh, the World Sax Congress. Uh, I would say one more time, because I, before Strasbourg, I feel that the saxophone community are not, not so interesting by this event. Now we have a kind of new uh, interest. That's great. Um, in Strasbourg, I... I've um, feedback each day uh, from people who say that was fantastic. We discover many styles of saxophone um, we don't know and, and so on. And the last thing is uh, about the organization team I built at this time. Um, they were so happy to work together that now they build a company to still work on cultural projects and I'm very happy about that because when you organize a so big event you could have problem and you could uh, say okay now that's enough bye bye but that's inverse we say we want to still work together that's the story if you just had one piece of music that you could play from now on just one which would it be one piece. I would improvise this piece. Good answer. If you have just one hour to practice, mm. how would you spend that hour? Uh, five minute breathing and take care of my body, play. After that's like five minutes long notes, uh, play some melody uh, from a concert or, or back and so on and uh, after uh, improvise and uh, spend probably also five minutes to listen to some music. Who do you consider to be one of the most successful contributors to the saxophone world? I would say Jean-Marie Bex for the so amazing uh, historical work he done for the saxophone. How do you deal with the daily use of technology, the the bombardment, the intrusion? Uh, we have to use it. How do you manage that 
and still be able to concentrate and practice and be creative? Um, that's a good question. I'm, I am a geek. <laughs> <laughs> Then, uh, but also I think that we, we have to learn to use the best of the new technology and to learn to let the new technology f far from us sometimes in the, in the day and in our life. If we learn from our mistakes, is it okay to make mistakes? It depends which kind of mistakes and uh, some small mistakes are, are good to do. We, when you improvise, you learn how to manage mistakes or, or to use mistakes sometimes. Uh, but sometimes in, in your life, some bad choice or some mistakes you could try to avoid. What's the most important thing that you do right before a performance? Uh, stay alone and concentrate. Right. Could you give yourself a piece of advice to your younger starting out self? Try to open your mind with different cultures and don't only practice your saxophone. <laughs> What have you seen during your musical life so far that has changed to do with the saxophone? And what has not changed that might have surprised you? Um, the thing changed is we have more and more now, um, I would say, crossover or open saxophonists, uh, Then memorial saxophonist and and in the other way we have still um, I would say a very small repertoire we could be expand if we could be more curious. Do you have a, a project that you've been working on recently that you could tell us about? Um, I recently. Then a new CD dedicated to uh, to my friend uh, Thomas Pesquet, the astronaut. I done that with uh, my new project duo Sinato, Saxon piano. Uh, and uh, you could uh, I done this CD with um, many friends also as. Um, Vincent David, Lars Mekus, Barry Cockcroft, Ben from Marsalis, many people will, will follow my uh, uh, way. And um, now the new project is also to work on build a world sax alliance because some instruments have this tool and I think we need that. And uh, That's the new project. And where can people find more about what you do? Uh, I would say Facebook, uh, because I have also an internet website, which it takes always uh, many times to update. Then Facebook and web websites could be both. And just the final thing, you've already made such a significant contribution to the world of saxophone. What's next for you over the next 10, 20 years? 
the, the World Sex Alliance. Great. Philippe. Thank you. Thank you again for your time. Shall we uh, drink coffee? Uh, coffee, coffee. Just before you go, a quick reminder to let you know that show notes, any links, and a full text transcript are available at barrysax.com. You can subscribe for a new episode each week. And thanks again for joining me and my guests on The Barry Sachs Show.